8, beginning in verse 1, is where we're going to pick up this morning. Acts chapter 8, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. We've been talking for the past few weeks about how the gospel would bring us hope uh, in our communities or hope uh, for different areas of our lives. Today we're looking at hope for our communities. We started the first week thinking about this idea that the gospel really brings hope to our own personal lives. Uh, We looked at 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1 talks about the fact that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection. And then last week, if you, if you weren't here, I hope you'll go back and listen to the message. But last week, we talked about this idea that there really is hope for us in our vocations, in our work. Sometimes we have this idea that work, uh, our jobs are a result of the fall, a result of the curse. But the truth is, there was Adam and Eve worked before they fell in Genesis 3 to sin. And so work is a good thing. And, and our our jobs literally are our places of ministry. I hope you, if nothing else, I hope you get this idea that every single one of us really are ministers of the gospel. I'm not the only minister in the room this morning. If you are a follower of Christ, you are a minister, you are a missionary, and you're called to be on mission for Jesus Christ. And one of the best places in which you live out that mission is in your workplace. Billy Graham said it this way. He believed that the workforce was the greatest untapped mission field in the United States of America. And so how are we going to reach them? Well, it's through people like you that are going out and making a difference where you work. Today we want to look at this idea of how the gospel would bring us, uh, brings hope to our community. And so if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 8, would you stand with me? And let's read the first eight verses together. If you don't have a Bible... Now, there should be one right around you, and if you don't want to do that, the words will be on the screen as well. And so one way or another, you're going to have access to the words. And so you guys follow along with me. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. That's an important phrase right there. That's one you want to pay attention to. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And verse 8, So there was great joy in that city. So Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would use your word to minister to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You guys go ahead and be seated. When I, when I say this idea that the gospel is going to bring hope to, to our community, for many of you, that's going to be Bethel. 
But that's not the only community that is represented in this room this morning. Uh, some of you uh, may think of uh, Belvoir. Uh, some of you drove from Greenville this morning. Um, we have members that drive from Oak City, from Robertsonville, from Canada, from Tarboro. And so when I say hope for your community, I am referring specifically to that place in which you live, thinking about the neighbors who are right around you. And this is another way in which we live out our mission. It's another way we live out our vision. I think it's going to be on the screen, uh, but you guys say it with me one more time. If it's not on the screen, it's, uh, it will be in your bulletin. Uh, one way or another, you can see it there, but here's what our, our vision is for our church. God has called us to make mature disciples for Jesus Christ here, there, and everywhere. Here, there, and everywhere. Mature disciples. And, I, and I've said for the past few weeks, the greatest majority of our emphasis is on us making mature disciples here in our church, and then we reach out and make mature disciples here in our community, wherever that is for us. And so in this passage, what we find is a blueprint for how we can bring hope, how we can help bring mature disciples to a community. And really, in this passage, it's in the most unlikeliest, uh, unlikeliest of times. When it says, verse 1, as Saul approved of his execution, that's referring to Stephen. Stephen is oftentimes considered one of the first martyrs of the church. He had just died. He had just been stoned to death because of his faith in Christ. And there is a rising, this great persecution in the church. There is this, this idea that, that the Jews are about to stamp out, stomp out, if you will, the Christian faith. There is this great persecution that, that takes place during this time. And the church, you would think, is on the brink of extinction but God uses the persecution to grow the church stronger spiritually, bigger numerically. Now, as we look at this passage, let me make three statements that would be a blueprint, something we can not necessarily do the same thing, but something we can take and adapt to our own culture and help us be a, bring hope to our community. First of all, here's, here's the first statement. Hope is brought to a community by ordinary people. Now, Luke, the writer of Acts, he makes an interesting statement. I told you it's, it's worth noting in your Bible because he puts it there. He puts it there very, very specifically. He said the entire church was scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. But at the end of verse 1, he makes this interesting statement. Except for the apostles. And so, in other words, the leaders of the church, they didn't run. They stayed put there in Jerusalem. Everybody else ran for their lives. It is these people who ran for their lives that took the gospel and began to take it to the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now, our vision is based off of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It was a promise that God gave. He said, but when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Now, this is where the church has been up until this point in the book of Acts. He said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, but then you're going to be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria. That's where the gospel is getting ready to go here in Acts chapter 8. And then to the uttermost parts of the, of the earth. Now, our vision is based upon that. We'll make mature disciples here, there, and everywhere. And so the gospel goes to Judea and Samaria, not by the pastors, not by the church leaders. It goes by ordinary people 
like us. It goes through ordinary people like you. And so up until this point, the mission of the church, the, the church had really been confined there in Jerusalem. But now that the persecution comes, and these people, not the apostles, not the church leaders, and they are scattered, they go out. And if you look at Acts chapter 8, verse 4, here's what happens. When they go out, they were scattered. They went about preaching the word. Can I tell you something? There's no difference in their ministry and what you can do. Did you know that you are filled with the same Spirit as they are? The same Spirit that came upon them in Acts chapter 1 is the same Spirit that fills you when you become a follower of Christ. You are empowered to do the same ministry as these did in Acts chapter 8. You have the the power within you to go out and proclaim the risen Savior Jesus Christ to your community. It's interesting. The word that is used here for scattered in verse 4... Warren Wiersbe says it could be translated as planted. So in other words, you get this idea that God planted them in a different area for the purpose of bringing hope to an area where there was none. That's true for us too. God has planted us where we are in this season of your life to bring hope to your community. To bring hope to your neighbors, to bring hope to those who live right there around you, and He has empowered you to do that. It may surprise you. Now, don't make an ugly face at the person you look at, but look at the people who are right around you and realize that they're agents of hope for the community, for your neighbors in which you live. Hope is always brought by the people not the preachers. I knew I was going to get somebody to laugh. But now here's the second thing. You say, well, all right, preacher. I know the hope's got to come through me, so what am I going to do? How, how, how am I going to bring hope to my community? Well, notice what happens here in this text. First of all, the hope is always brought. You, it, it comes upon this idea that you've got to use your words. You've got to proclaim Christ if you're going to bring hope to, to your community. They, they went about preaching the word, is what verse 4 says. Verse 5 says that Philip went down to Samaria and proclaimed, you do that with your mouth, proclaimed to them the Christ. It is the intentional sharing of Christ that brings hope to those around you. If, if we're honest with one another, we live in one of the most depressed times that our world has ever known. We live in a time where people really battle depression, people really have high anxiety, where people really want to know something like this. Is there any hope for my life? Is there any hope for the pain that I'm going through? Is there any, is there any hope for the situation that I find myself in? And they want to know if, if God is real and if people are, that are His followers of Christ, if we have those answers. And the truth is, we have a, a great hope that has been given to us in Christ. We know that God loves every person that we come into contact with and what He calls us to do is to represent Him to those who are around us. He calls us to, to proclaim, to, to gospel, to preach the Word to them. He, he, pray, he tells us to, to bring hope by sharing Him with those who have no hope, and He empowers us to do that. Hey, listen. Are you listening? You don't have to be the best speaker to do this. 
Okay? You know, I'm sure, yeah, it, it, it's intimidating at some point. But God doesn't give it a, us a spirit of fear. He gives us a spirit of power. You know, you, you've heard that old saying, right? Uh, what It says, it's not your ability that matters, it's your what? Y'all remember that saying? Y'all never heard that one? It's not your ability that matters, it's your availability. It's your willingness to be used by Him. One person said it this way, I read it this week. God doesn't always call the best, He just calls the will. Do you remember who His first disciples were? It wasn't the, the, the smart people. It was ordinary people. It was fishermen. He, he turned the world upside down with uneducated fishermen. He can use us. He can use you. It's just this idea of being available and saying, yes, Lord. Wherever you call me, I'll go. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And so it has to come through our words. But now here's the second thing. It has to come through our actions. And so if you, if you follow with the text, Philip went down to, to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one another, they paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him, now here's, the, here's what I'm getting to, and they saw the signs. Unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. Many of them who were paralyzed or, or lame were healed. In the Bible, signs are never designed to specifically to draw attention to themselves, but it's always designed to point people to Jesus Christ. That, that's what signs are. They, they, they point you in a different direction. If you've ever been on vacation and gone somewhere and it's a, it's a big place and you're not sure where you're going, what you're doing, you know what you look for? You look for signs. Uh, Leanne and I and our family were privileged to go to Disney World uh, this past November. And if you've ever been to Disney World, you know this. There are signs pointing everywhere. If you want to go to Hollywood Studios, you turn down this road. If you want to go to Magic Kingdom, you go here. If you want to go to Epcot, you go over here. And if you want to go to one of the thousand different places that you can go in Disney World, you, just, you look for the signs because the signs are telling you something, right? They're telling you, here's where your destination is. And it's the same way in the Scriptures with, with, with these healings and, and, and the exorcisms. These are signs that are pointing to giving the spotlight to Jesus Christ. Now, I'm just going to be honest. There's In my walk as a follower of Christ in these past, since 2001, so going on 16 years, I've heard of one exorcism that I thought was a legitimate exorcism. We, we don't see things like demon possession very often in our culture. Again, one in 16 years. There are other times when I look at signs of healing when I can look and say, man, if God didn't intervene in that situation, there's just no other explanation for that healing. Now, we can see that somewhat on a fairly consistent basis in our culture. But nothing like people who have been in wheelchairs for, for years and then suddenly able to walk. You say, well, preacher, I just don't see signs in our culture. We, we're not able to do that. Well, I would agree with you. You know, we just can't. We just typically don't see that on a consistent basis. But that doesn't mean that we don't have signs that we can be a part of to help show the world Jesus in our actions. In fact, if you were to go back to Acts chapter 4, and it's one of the, it's, it's just a good chapter to study. <laughs> People were taking their possessions 
and selling them to give away the proceeds to help those who were in need. Now, can you imagine if you took your possessions, sold it, something you needed, and gave it away to somebody that was in need? If there was a lost person and they saw what you did, what do you think they would say? Yeah, you might think they might think you were crazy. But you know what they would do? you know what they would see? A sign. They would see something. That's not normal. For somebody to, to sell their possessions to give it away to somebody else, that's just not normal. But it's showing the love of Christ in a real and practical way. It is pointing people to a Savior. When we go out of our way to help others, when we make sure we love our neighbors, when we stand up for the poor and the outcasts, when we love the unlovable, when we stand up for those who have no voice, that speaks volumes to those who need you. You can't just, you can't just go out and, and proclaim Christ with your words. We back it up with our actions. People have to see both. But now there's a third thing in this text that you don't really see. It's it's not something that you, unless you understand the history of the culture, you you wouldn't catch this. But here's the last mark of true community ministry. You have to love those who are not like you. You know, it's natural within us that we gravitate toward people that look like us, kind of make the same income as us, who kind of are in the same age bracket as us. We, we gravitate toward people like that. We're comfortable with people like that. We can identify with them. But true community ministry says, I want to minister to you no matter if you look like me or not. I want to love you and show you the love of Christ no matter if, if our skin color is the same, no matter if our bank account is the same, no matter if our age is the same. Because in Jesus Christ, none of those things matter. What matters is the fact that Jesus loved us enough that he was willing to give his life for us. And if there were ever two groups of people, let me me just clarify where I'm, I'm getting this from. Where did Philip go and proclaim the gospel? In the text. What does it say? Verse 4. 5, I'm sorry. Where did he go and proclaim the text? He went to Samaria. The text doesn't say it, but I'll just let you know. Philip was Jewish. You know what? Two groups of people did not like one another. The Samaritans and the Jews. I mean, if you think some of the race wars that we see in our culture are bad, it's nothing compared to what, like, the Jews and the Samaritans. They just really hated one another. The Samaritans were considered half-breeds, and the Jewish people wanted nothing to do with them. Sometimes it's recorded that when people would travel through Samaria trying to get to Jerusalem, you know, for like a feast or or a celebration that the Samaritans would rob them. And so, I mean, these people just really did not get along. But when Philip, changed by the Spirit of God, goes down to Samaria, the people who is not, who is not like him, the people whom he probably grew up despising, there was a change in him that was brought about by the gospel of Jesus Christ. He no longer saw them as they once were. He saw them through the lens of the love of Christ. 
in his life. There's no denying, I just mentioned that we live in a divided culture. Racism is a problem in our in our culture. And it's not just whites, it's whites, blacks, and Hispanics. We, we all deal with racism. And the truth is, our government is not going to fix racism. Whether there's a Republican or a Democrat in office, government's not going to fix racism. I read one sociologist who, who reported, and, and this is what she said. He, she said, we know, I'm assuming it was she, could have been he, the sociologist said. We know how to forcibly integrate society. We know how to pass laws to guarantee fairness. What we have not been able to do is make races and cultures love and embrace each other. Government cannot do it but the gospel. When you live for Jesus Christ, what the laws cannot do, the gospel can. Because in the gospel, no matter what race, no matter what socioeconomic status, no matter what gender you are, we all have the same problem. We all struggle with sin. It is our sinful nature that's going to look at us, look at other people and say, I'm better than you. It's sin. And we're all, we all are guilty of it. All races are guilty of it. And every one of us have the same solution. A Savior in Jesus Christ. It is only the, the saving grace of Jesus Christ that would cause all groups, all ethnic groups, all races, all socioeconomic statuses, to say it's no longer about us, it's about Him. And we're going to cross the cultural barrier lines and look at our neighbors not through, not through our own lines, but we're going to look at them through the eyes and the love of Christ. And we're just going to go out and share the love of Christ by our actions and in our words. Think about it like this. When we come to Jesus Christ, He places us in a new race. My, my own example, October 22nd, 2001. I became a follower of Christ. I, I, I became a new race in Christ. I, was, I have a new identity in Christ. But before that, you know what I was? I was a white man. You know what I am today? I'm still a white man, can't you tell? You see, God doesn't change our identities in that aspect. He gives us a new identity. And that new identity outweighs any other identity that we have in our lives. I'm still a white man, but I care more about being a follower of Christ than than taking up for my own race. Because that's more important. My race is going to pass away. But I'm in a part of a kingdom that will never pass away. And in that kingdom, there's going to be somebody from every race, every tribe, every tongue. And I need to learn to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we, as the people who have this hope within us, when we understand this, and we go and we love our brothers and sisters in Christ like that, when we love our community like that, when we don't see color and we don't see status, it says something to the world. And when people see that, we begin to see that there is a community that has hope that God can really do great things. But now let me close with this because it's really the driving force of the passage. Man, if I just being honest, that, that, that it's not going to be easy. Here's the commitment needed to bring about this hope. 
sacrificial death. As you read this text, the driving force that brought the gospel to the Samaritans was persecution. It's always been the case that persecution of the church always leads to greater impact by the church. The church father Tertullian who said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. This text proves that. Stephen is martyred for his faith in Jesus. Persecution is reigning in Jerusalem. So they flee for their lives, but they flee with the hope of the gospel. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we're going to get so comfortable in our holy huddles that we miss the community in which God has placed us. We get so comfortable that, well, I just want to go be with my friend who, who thinks like me and acts like me. We miss the community that God's called us to bring hope to, and if we're not careful, God's going to bring persecution to push us out. The commitment, sacrificial death. I don't mean we physically die, but we are to make sacrifices for the cause of Christ. When you give, think about it this way. Let me give you a few examples. When you give sacrificially, meaning you give in such a way that it costs you, you are dying to a part of yourself to be able to give life to somebody else. This is our, our family. We, uh, we, we give to the Carolina Pregnancy Center. And we really do. We save our change every year to be able to give to the Carolina Pregnancy Center. Um, this past year, we filled up Joshua. He's got a big bat piggy bank. And Literally, in this past year, that, that thing was slammed full, Miss Emily. Like that. Uh, that, that. And so I took it to the credit union where Leanne works to cash in all that change. Y'all know how much money that little thing holds? Who, who said something? Oh, you know, that's not fair. $87. Just by saving change. I could use $87. I'm just going to be honest. But in a sacrificial way, we give that. Because when we know that we give that, when we sacrificially die and give it, it's giving life to somebody. And in this case, in the pregnancy center, it's really giving life to children. Those seven ladies last year who became followers of Christ, it gave them life. It's a sacrificial death. I could have used that. I could have bought something, but I, I died to my own needs and wants in order to provide life to somebody else. Here, here's another way. Standing up for Jesus Christ where you work or where you go to school. Just going to be honest. If you, if, you, if you faithfully live for Jesus, where you work and when you go, where you go to school, you're going to get some backlash. If you really, really represent Christ, if you really stand for Him, try to tell others about Him, you're, you're going to get some backlash. There's going to be some sacrificial death that you have to go through. People are going to look at you funny. In some cases, people get passed over for job promotions because of their faith in Jesus Christ. That happens all the time. But in that death, that sacrificial death, really, really willing to stand for Christ, somebody's going to come to faith in Christ through that. Because of your death, You know where the greatest example of this is? It's in the cross. When they nailed him there on the cross, and he gave his life for you, 
out of his death, all of us have the opportunity to have life. In his death, he gave us life. If you want an example to go bring hope to your community, you follow his example to it. In your death, you bring hope, you bring life to those that the Father has placed around. Don, if you don't mind, I want you to dim the light real quick. I want you to see this video of this young man that brought hope to his community. And may he challenge us to do the same thing where God has placed us. biggest fire in Washington State history hit my community and uh, there were 537 homes lost and so many, I mean, so many lives were devastated. It was tough. I saw um, a lot of heartbreak. They were completely just in shock. Since it was my community, obviously I have friends throughout the entire town and, and a lot of them lost their homes. Um, and so that was definitely a major part in making me want to go out and help and serve them. When I was younger, I kind of shied away from like sharing my faith or telling others about Christ because maybe they maybe they thought I was weird or different or something, but really, what do you have to lose? I think that a lot of it is um, being bold for Christ and wanting to tell others about him because who knows, they may, they may be here tomorrow or the next day, but after that, I don't know. I mean, this fire definitely taught me that Anything can happen in the blink of an eye. I don't have forever here. It's not gonna be not gonna be eternal on the earth. So it showed me to live with um, determination and urgency and in spreading the gospel and his love to others. The day after the fire we got back home and uh, a lot of emotions going on because our house had been saved and we were all kind of going crazy. But then once I saw that our house had been saved and God had spared us, I saw that as an opportunity to go serve others. And so right after that, I would help down at the public school in our town. And they had set up a distribution and donation center there for all the fire victims and survivors to come in to, to get what they need. I probably met hundreds of people a day. And I was able to share the Lord with quite a few different people. And I even, even got to band together with some people in, in sharing Christ's love, which is really cool. Who, It's not done yet. There's a whole lot of more work left to do, and so I've been taking every opportunity that I can to serve them and to help them and show Christ's love. That definitely changed my whole, whole view on Christianity and what it means to have a relationship with Christ. I learned what it means to be a leader and not a follower, and and how Christ wants us to lead others in his word and make disciples. You know, sometimes I think about bringing to our hope to our community. They are, what, are, what is our church doing? Our pastor organized, organized this, organized that, and let's, let's, let's go out and let our community. truth is you are the church 
this isn't one of those sermons where you say, all right, well, let's get together and do this. Now, this is a sermon where I'm challenging you just to go. Love your neighbors. Love those that the Father has put around you. Sit down, you know, if you're, if you're married, sit down. Okay, Who's the Father got right around us who don't know Jesus? How can we begin intentionally bringing hope to their lives? Think through those things. And may the Lord use you in a mighty way to bring hope to your ears. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, would you burden our hearts for our friends and our neighbors who do not know you. Lord, would you use us to bring hope to our community. Lord, you have planted us there for a reason. Lord, help us to make Jesus known. Help us to love them. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, here, here, here's my challenge here this morning the death of Christ has never really brought you life would you come during the invitation and say pastor today I want the life that Christ offers and then secondly many of you have already made that decision but if you're honest with yourself you're not seeking to bring hope to your community you're not seeking your, the, the welfare of your neighbors today would you come and ask the Father, Lord, give me a burden for my neighbors. Maybe the Father is even putting people on your heart right now that you need to reach out to. But you've got hope in your neighbor's need. May the Father use you for that. Stand. The word's going to be on the screen. The word's going to be on the screen. You respond as the Father is speaking to your heart.